This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. On the lineup, he pitches. Adamas launches one way up into the air into left field. This one's got a chance. Turning Ben Benintendi, Willie Adamas with his first big league hit. It's a home run against Chris Sale. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our latest show. On deck today, Travis Darnot on his resurgence with the Rays. Doug Wechter on the Blake Snell injury. R.C. Lichtenstein on the talented pitching staff in Montgomery. Rays hitting coach Chad Matola on Travis Darno and more. Plus, Mike Farron of SiriusXM on the trading deadline. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and our featured guest has certainly had some terrific moments within the past month for the Rays, and that is catcher Travis Darno. Travis, we certainly appreciate some time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. should be fun. Tell me what this stretch has been like for you and and how much you've enjoyed being here i've really enjoyed being here um since the first day i got here i've been welcomed with open arms um from top to bottom in the organization um, i think it, it made it a lot easier of a transition for me too to from all the traveling i was doing from the northeast to the southwest and then ultimately ending up here in the southeast um it, it's been fun it's been a lot of fun to to be a part of this winning ball club and, and this contagious atmosphere. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. You had three great moments. You had a walk-off here. You had the home run in New York where you hit three, the third off of Raldis Chapman to win, and then the Grand Slam. How would you rank them, and where do they sit up in terms of moments you've had individually and professionally? Um, I would rank them the Grand Slam is number three. It's cool hitting a Grand Slam. It was my first one, but... You know, it wasn't as, as magical to me as, which would be my number two, you know, the home run that put us in the lead for my third home run in uh, New York. That was, I still can't believe that happened. I'm still on cloud nine about that. And then finally, my favorite one, though, you know, it's something you dream of as a kid is hitting a walk-off home run. Um, so that was definitely my number one. How how much of the experience playing in New York for several years helps you slow down the moment? Because obviously to have good moments, I think you have to be able to slow the game down and, and not allow it to speed up on you. Yeah, it, it definitely helps tremendously. You know, there every everything you do is, is in the in the bright light. So um, you really just have to focus on every moment because in this game you're going to mess up. You're going to do good, you know, but you have to be able to wash both of those to just be able to focus on the moment and focus on the task in front of you. Other than going to the World Series, is this the most fun you've had playing baseball? And if so, why? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just just being a part of a winning team is, is a lot of fun. You know, there's, there's a lot of hope 
for for playing in October. You know, that year that we went to the World Series was a tremendous amount of fun too because it's it's very similar to the atmosphere here is is hope and fight and and uh everyone on the same page as far as wanting to play in October and and not making um off-season plans. Um it's 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 just a lot of fun. You've had a lot of success. The the group around you, you mentioned you're, you know, kind of embraced with open arms. How much has Chad Matola meant to you, and why do you think you guys have basically kind of picked up where you left off in the Blue Jays organization? He's been a tremendous amount of help. You know, even in off-seasons past, he's reached out to see how I was and see how everything's going with my family and, and just with life in general. Um, even the day that that trade happened, he shot me a text like 20 minutes after I found out, which which I thought was really cool. Um, but from from what I always remembered was how open we both were with with uh, with hitting, not only mechanically but mentally. Um, so me coming here, I, I knew that, and I was really looking forward to to be able to express what I was feeling in the box, even in BP, even off the tee. And you know, we were able to work through it together with with trial and error and and a lot of open discussions. And and now I am where I am now. Because this game is a lot about trust and confidence, and it sounds like you have a lot of trust and confidence in him and vice versa. Oh, 100%. I have 100% trust in him. Um, I trust his eyes, which I think is is really important. You know, I could be feeling one thing one day, and the next day I'm trying to feel the same thing, but it looks completely wrong or, or it, it's not the right the right swing. And, and now when he tells me that, I just trust him and, and go from there. You mentioned family, and you had your first child this offseason, a uh, baby girl. Congratulations! What's that been like for you, being a dad? And are they have they been here? How long have they been here with you since um, since you came to Tampa Bay? I've always wanted to be a dad. I would say even more so than being a big leaguer. So the day that me and my wife found out she was pregnant, I was jumping up and down, um, all smiles, and she was looking at me, you know, with wide eyes because she was, you know, she wasn't feeling too well, but. <laughs> I was I was jumping up and down. I was so excited, and and uh, every day's been a blessing since we've had her. Um, I get to see her every time she wakes up from a nap with that huge smile. She likes when I sing to her too, which makes it fun. Um, but but I, I I really enjoy having her in in my life, especially when things aren't going too well here. I know that she'll be able to cheer me up and put me in a good mood again do you think it helps um it's helping you having the year you're having because you are you know some guys uh put less pressure on themselves because they can kind of separate that much easier when they're home yeah i think so i think that it helps me definitely separate the struggling times during baseball throughout a 162 game year you're going to go through highs you're going to go through lows um with her and my wife to be able to help me not let the the valleys get too low um it, it, it's helped me out a lot travis durno with us on this week in race baseball so obviously it's been a fantastic year but i don't think people realize what you had to get through to get to this point and that's through tommy john surgery we always hear about what it's like as a, a pitcher but how tough was it as a catcher and what was the hardest part about the comeback it's just a long repetitive process um something where you have to have your eyes on the prize or, or you know you're vision in the future of, of just taking it day by day and trusting the process. Um, as far as a, as a position player, though, it, it affects more so than just your throwing because you also have to hit with it. Um, with it being my right arm and I'm a right-handed hitter, it's actually my top hand, which is 
most people say it's the power part of their hand. So it took a little time to get adjusted to that. And, and now I think it's actually helped me with my top hand drills and everything, which, which I think has ultimately given me some pretty good results. Give us an idea how, um, how you think it's helped. Um, I think that I, I got my top hand strength back. The past few years, I felt like I was more of a bottom hand swinger. When, when I was younger coming up, I always thought of top hand. So, you know, after the, the last year and, and coming back and being able to do these top hand drills and it, it feeling strong again, I think tremendously helped me out. And you're doing this all while playing the toughest position I think there is to play, and that's behind the plate. And if I read right, did you, in essence, volunteer when you started playing catcher as a kid, whether you were, what, 12, 13, 14 years old, somewhere yeah, in there? You did hear that right. I was 11, and we had this kid on our team who threw 70 in Little League, which, you know, comparisons like over 90 miles an hour. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll do it, Dad, you know, whatever. I don't I don't mind. And and I was, I've been doing it ever since. And obviously become very good at it. And you mentioned family and your dad. You come from a baseball family. Where did you playing against your brother in the big leagues rank? Because I know you got to do that one moment, and he's right now with Triple A Omaha. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time was in Philly. He came in and had a pinch hit in 2015, and I was talking so much smack to him, man. <laughs> it was pretty funny, and we we ended up getting him out that at bat. And as he was walking away, I think he like hit me with his batter, like kicked dirt at me or something. It was it was funny. What's the relationship with like with the two of you? Because it's very unique to have two brothers who've gotten to play in in the big leagues. We're very close. Um, we text every day. You know, we grew up in the same room. We shared a room together. So, uh, you know, we're very close. We want to end up living next to each other one day, so we can ride bikes to each other's houses and and have the, have our kids, you know, cousins hang out all the time. Um, so we're we're very close. Nice to hear. And you come from a an area of California that's very athletic. You went to Lakewood High. I, you know, I saw that what you were co athlete of the year with James Harden the the your your year in, last year in high school. Mm-hmm. 2007 co athletes of the year with James Harden. Yeah, that's true. So did you ever play against him in any sport? And who would have a better chance? You scoring on him in basketball, or him being able to make good contact and get a base hit against a major league pitcher that's a tough one (laughs) i know that people say that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing in sports but then again if i tried to score a basket on him he's got almost half a foot in height probably a foot in wingspan um, and he's got the instinct i don't know man that'd be that'd be really tough maybe if i threw a prayer up and it went in (laughs) that'd be a shot for me but you know that's that's tough man that's tough were you always a baseball guy did you play other sports too um, I played like flag football and like park league basketball. Nothing crazy. I was I was mostly baseball. And did you you obviously mentioned when you started catching? Who did you like and who did you model yourself after as you were growing up? Who were your favorites? Well, Mike Piazza was was in L.A. Um, Russell Martin was in L.A. I, I, I had a Pudge Rodriguez glove, so those three are probably the three. Pretty good guys too emulate and you know i think what's neat about your career you know people saw what you did with the mets but they forget you were originally not drafted by the mets you were eventually traded and this past weekend hall of fame roy halliday went in sadly after his passing but you were involved in the trade for roy halliday i mean that's pretty cool to say you were traded for a hall of famer while you're active yeah it's it's really cool to, to be able to say that um not only for him but i was also traded for another Cy Young winner which is really cool too um it's it means i'm wanted which is cool to feel 
and obviously very much wanted here. Did you ever meet Roy Halladay at any point after the trade? Um, just like playing against him, no really in-depth conversation. Um, just like, how you doing? Just because I was still in the minor leagues, you know, still a young and shy, innocent guy trying to just make a good impression. So I didn't, we didn't get a chance to talk too much. You were traded with, at one point, you mentioned trading for another Cy Young with Noah Syndergaard. How close are the two of you because of the fact that you were traded with one another? Um, yeah, we were really close. Um, not only because we got traded for another, but or with one another, but we played four years, five years on the same team. So, you know, I, I, I was able, I was seeing him more than I was seeing my wife, my family, and we got pretty close. I think people don't realize that aspect of you, you do spend more time with the players you're with and your family um, when you're not playing, and obviously when you're not spending time with your your, uh, your daughter Charlie. Um, what do you like to do? What uh, What do you try and do to kind of when you're not focused on baseball? I like to watch TV. I like to listen to music. I like to play video games. I like to go to the mountains. I like the mountains more than the beach, but I do like the beach. I like to go to the beach. I just like to hang out, relax, um, see family, nothing too crazy. Too crazy. you play any music? or? Um, I know how to play the piano a little bit. I know a couple cover songs. Um, that's, you know, I like to dabble with it. It's, cool. it's, a, it's a cool bar trick if I were to go to a bar. All right. Well, song of choice would be that you can play, cover song? I like... Uh, John Legend, All of Me, that's that's a fun one to bust out. I know, like, the beginning of uh, Fewer Elise. I know uh, a couple other ones, too. I can't give away all my secrets. They haven't made you sing in a post-game locker room celebration yet? No, 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 no. That's, no, not yet. <laughs> Speaking of, obviously you're having a great time here, and I, and I think people, you know, don't realize the human aspect of this game. You're going into your free agent year. Have you given any thought to that or are you just kind of enjoying the moment and how much are you enjoying this place is, and would you want to continue here? Oh, I, I I try not to think about it. I've learned about myself when I think too far ahead in the future, it, it hurts my my performance on the field. I love it here. You know, everybody here has been, has tremendously helped me to, to, to come back to realizing how fun this game is. Um, you know, I, I would love to be here again um, in the future and yeah like I said I I just try not to think about it too much because I feel like it affects my performance on the field well then just keep having good moments stay in the moment enjoy the moment we appreciate the moments you spent with us on this week in Rays baseball yeah thanks for having me I really appreciate it that's Travis Darnell we'll continue right after this you're listening to the Rays baseball network well, we continue on this week in race baseball. Let's look at the week on by and joining us from Fox Sports Sun, Doug Wechter. Doug, thanks very much for joining us. Anytime, Neil. Anytime, buddy. You know, this had the potential, I think, to be a pretty good week, especially all things considered. Uh, we'll touch on yesterday in a bit. Obviously, it's kind of put a damper on things. I mean, the first big point of the news week really was Blake Snell. How big a loss is he? How tough is it to overcome his injury? Well, that, I mean, that's a great question. Honestly, um, it's a very tough loss, and it makes it a lot tougher, not only because he won the Cy Young Award last year. We all know uh, the kind of respect that he commands on the mound, but the fact that he was turning a corner. I mean, over his last three outings, you saw him pitching with conviction, and you saw him pitching the way he pitched last season. You know, earlier in this year, he struggled, and he struggled all the way pretty much through the first half, and now you see him turning that corner and turning into the pitcher that, you know, the Rays are going to have to rely on for a playoff push, and unfortunately, this news about the uh, about the elbow 
came out of nowhere. Um, I will say that it is good news that it's only bone chips and bone fragments that are getting removed in arthroscopic surgery. Uh, obviously, it could be a lot worse than that. But, uh, you know, it, it's still hard news for the Rays. And right now they're going to have to have a couple guys step up in that role and, and take the ball when they can and really make that push until he gets back. One of the guys who has to do that pitched uh, on Friday, and I thought pitched very well in Ryan Yarbrough, and the other is today, Yanni Chirinos. Um, yep. They both have been much, much improved. Uh, what's been the biggest change for each of them as you've seen them grow this year? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I think Yarbrough was very good last season, and he accepted a role in the bolt guy, and he ran with it. You know, and, and he went out this year, and he struggled. Earlier in the year, he struggled at times. I didn't think his cutter was as effective as it was last year. And I think what happened was when he went down to AAA, he made a few small adjustments. And now we see him coming back, and he's attacking the strike zone. Uh, he's attacking the strike zone, going to corners. And he's when he's missing, he's missing in good spots. He's not missing over the plate. And I think earlier with his struggles, I think some of his misses were bad misses. And because of that, he was getting hurt. And so Yarbrough cleaned up his delivery a little bit, cleaned up his command a little bit, and uh, he's really taken off this year. And he's one of the guys who is stepping up into that role now. You're talking about a guy in Torino's as well, and uh, man, he is he is so impressive to me. Stuff alone, I think this guy plays out as above average major league starter. I mean, he can be a number three in just about any rotation. And uh, you know, he's gone out there this year, and he's pretty much taken that role. Uh, he, he's pretty much forced Kevin Cash to put him in that starting rotation because of the way he's been throwing, which is a great thing. You know, he goes out there and he's so consistent with being able to get deep into the game. I think it's 11 straight games where he has gone five innings or more, sometimes going six, seven, even eight innings. And he's starting to be one of those guys where you're counting on him to go deep into the game. And you go into today, uh, and honestly, I mean, with the way the bullpen's been scuffling a little bit lately, you're hoping Torino's can go out there and give you seven, eight innings. And that way the bullpen won't have to go out there and clean up, you know, three or four innings at a time, maybe just take out one and uh, hopefully get the save. No question. Um, and I think certainly Kevin Cash would appreciate if he can do that and the race can score some runs. You know, yesterday, how, how tough a loss is that? How tough is it for a player and a group in a clubhouse to try and overcome when you've lost a game like that? Well, last night, I guarantee you, those guys, especially everybody in the bullpen, because I've been in bullpens that have blown leads like that, uh, you go back to your room and you don't want to talk to anyone. I mean, that is just, there's no question the loss lies directly on you as a staff. And it's hard to take. Uh, but also, you got to understand that these guys do this every single day. And the routine is going to be, okay, uh, last night you're going to feel bad about it, you're going to think it through, uh, and you're going to wonder about and and concentrate on what you could have done better. And then as soon as you wake up today, that, that game is over. I mean, there's absolutely nothing you can do about that game yesterday. And all you can do is go out there today and try to take the series. So uh, one of the hardest things as a bullpen pitcher is to have a short memory. And that's exactly what these guys are going to have to do going today because, I mean, look, some of those guys who pitched yesterday will have to be in the game today, most likely, take the ball and probably get some of those same guys out. So uh, the mental side of being a bullpen pitcher is never easy, but really that's what they're going to have to face those fears today and uh, hopefully overcome them and, and go out there and get the job done. You know, the fan base certainly asked during the trading deadline, okay, what are they going to do? Um, how much have they missed a veteran guy 
in that bullpen this year. Uh, I know Chazro is somewhat veteran, but he certainly isn't experienced as a Sergio Romo or some of the guys they've had there in the past. Well, I love that question because I've been in both. I've been in bullpens without a veteran guy and been in bullpens, and not only bullpens, but staff, uh, teams without veteran leaderships compared to teams with veteran leaderships. And I think every team that makes a strong playoff push, there's one consistent, and usually it's that veteran guy somewhere on that staff. Uh, you know, obviously with the, the starting rotation, you got Charlie Morton. Those guys can look at Charlie Morton and say, all right, man, Charlie, you know, let me bounce a couple ideas off you. What do you think here? And he is one of the best at helping the younger guys, mentoring the younger guys. In the bullpen, you're right. I, I, there's not a true veteran guy who has really been out there, done that for a long time, and these guys are able to go to and say, hey, we're struggling a little bit. What do you see? Uh, it, it's tough. It is tough without that leadership role, but you know somebody's going to have to step up into that role if they don't end up getting one of those veteran guys at the trade deadline. And, uh, you know, it, that's just the way it is. That's the fact. And so, I mean, look, the bullpen by numbers, the first half of the season, they were outstanding. They're just absolutely outstanding. And so the, the skill levels there, the, the track records there, it's just getting these guys back on track. And, you know, it, it's been a long season, and every bullpen goes through a little bit of times where, you know, they scuffle. And that's what we're seeing right now. But that doesn't mean that they can't get back to where they were in the first half. Doug, good stuff. Have a good call today on uh, Fox Sports pre and post, and we appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. And that is Doug Wachter of Fox Sports Sun. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Race Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and W237CW Pinellas Park. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball. Let's take a look at things on the minor league side. You know, all the race affiliates are doing quite well, especially at the full season level. The one that has made the playoffs and has the best mark of any race affiliate is AA Montgomery and their pitching coach is R.C. Lichtenstein, who now joins us. R.C., thanks very much for a few minutes. You got it, Neil. Thanks for having me. You know, before I touch on uh, guys that are with you right now, I do want to touch on one that moved up to AAA, and that's Sam McWilliams. Um, I know he's had a little bit of a tough time his first few starts there. What did he do so well in AA this year that earned him that promotion? You know, he, he got we got him back from the Royals after he was uh, Rule 5 and, and went to Big League Camp with them, and, and I had talked to him after he had got picked, and we just built a good relationship last year. Um, when he got back... Uh, his first handful outings here were not very good. He was His delivery was slow. It was methodical. It was unathletic. And I was able to just convince him he's an elite athlete who really needed to speed things up and, and, and put that athleticism in his delivery. So we sped him up, and he bought into it. And, I mean, it was, it was really, really fun to watch. He, he had a 10-start stretch where eight of those starts he either, either gave up one or zero runs. And, and he was just dominant, and, and everything really started to click for him. His confidence level, his maturity level, his, his just the way he, he kind of walked around, you could tell he was really focused on being a big leaguer, uh, and to see him do that was really rewarding. Well, hopefully he uh, continues to adjust with the jump to AAA and the big league baseballs there. You've had several guys who continue to excel for you. And would Kenny Rosenberg be a little bit of a surprise just based on the numbers he put up last year? It's funny because I was thinking about that, and you know, he last year he was 11 and two, and but he had a high four ERA, um, and and I, I think he said a lot of his wins were coming in after the opener, and 
pitching three or four innings, he'd give up a couple runs, but he happened to be the pitcher of record. You know, we started to talk about that a lot in spring training just because I had gathered that information from Doc Watson, our pitching coach in Port Charlotte, and I was able to get a little background information on him, and I just started to get into his head about focusing on when you hit the hill, I want you to think about being in the seventh inning. I want you to think about if we get an opener, I want you to think about finishing the game. He's really gotten off to a tremendous start He's and, and just really put himself in a position where he's he dropped his ERA by two runs this year. He just has really gained confidence. He worked real hard in the offseason to be physically strong, to pitch a full season. And he's he definitely, at the start of the year, I would say that the start he got off to was a little bit of a surprise. What he's doing right now is no longer a surprise. He just continues to, to put together a good body of work. What's his stuff like? His stuff is good. It's, it's not dominant. It's, you know, when you look at a Brendan McKay who was here earlier and, and some of the arms who trot through there, his stuff is not big, but he'll be 90 to 93 with the fastball. Uh, he commands it pretty well. His changeup is his best pitch, and he can spin the ball. He's got a good curveball, and our focus this year has been on getting the slider under the zone with two strikes as an out pitch. Uh, and he's really uh, kind of bought into how we're trying to use his stuff and, and, and how it plays. And, and it's been fun to watch him kind of do his thing and, and succeed at the level he has. He's not the only lefty who's succeeding in your rotation, as we chat with R.C. Lichtenstein, pitching coach from Montgomery. Josh Fleming has had a heck of a year, too. He really has, and he was a guy I got, I got close with early in spring training. Uh, he pitches to contact. He's a sinker baller who commands the fastball and commits to it as good as anybody I've had in a long time and, and just is, is a very confident, aggressive kid who continues to attack hitters. Early on, his command and his fastball movement was able to beat a lot of hitters before they had a number of at-bats under their belt. And then uh, as guys had started to get some at-bats, he started to give up a couple hits, but we've made some adjustments to try and sharpen up the breaking ball. We moved him from the third base side to the first base side of the rubber to see if we can get him over the ball better. And in his last start, after moving to the first base side, he threw a nine-inning complete game and only gave up one run. And it was just really impressive. Just watching him work, and, and he's an aggressive kid, like I mentioned, who is, is developing his slider much better. The curveball is a get-me-over pitch, but it's solid, uh, and his changeup is starting to really make progress as well. So it's, it's once again, it's, the whole staff has been fun to watch, but watching them grow and develop and kind of buy into what we're asking them to do has been real rewarding. Is he similar to anyone the race have, like a Ryan Yarbrough type, or, or how would you compare it's funny because we've talked about that, and, and that was the name we've brought up. And I saw Ryan Yarbrough at this level. He, he started against us four times when he was in Jackson uh, with Seattle. And I watched him compete. I watched him keep the ball out of the center of the plate and, and you know execute with guys on base. And so there are a lot of similarities between Yarbrough and Fleming. Fleming may have a little bit more fastball. Yarbrough probably has a better changeup. But Fleming's continual development right now is, has been fun to watch to see his value continue to grow and maybe be as valuable as a guy like Yarborough who has continued to win at the big league level. You've got two right-handers who maybe have a little bit more stuff uh, than the lefties that we just mentioned. Give us a feel for both Riley O'Brien and Paul Campbell. I tell you what, it's been fun as they've come up here and started to do their thing and watching them kind of grab hold of this next level has been really, really cool. O'Brien got here first. He's a kid who's been up to 98 with the fastball and, and has just bought into using the middle part of the plate. We don't pitch side to side. We stay, we stay in the middle of the plate and we work up and down. Uh, he's got a really good slider. And so he, he's just bought into the fact, as I described to both, I, I, I had him and Mick Williams and Campbell in together in a meeting. And I said, you know, Kyle Snyder described our pitching staff as 
like Gorilla, Neanderthal guys who could just rear back and throw the ball down the middle with stuff and just go compete and, and don't pick at the corners, challenge hitters. And, and I, I kind of convinced these guys that here in Montgomery, you're, you're those guys for us. And so we need to attack the hitters and just make them deal with us. O'Brien bought into it. He still would have some issues with his delivery with losing pitches to east and west. But the majority of the time when he would work up and down, he was dominant. And he's got really, really good stuff. So to watch him do his thing, it's been fabulous. Uh, Campbell came up, and you know he, he was a guy who didn't pitch a lot in college because he didn't have a, a really good command, but has really come a long way. He doesn't walk anybody anymore, and he has a good feel of how to pitch. He's up to 96. He'll sit 94, 95. And he's got a, a really good cutter and a good curveball, and his changeup is pretty good as well. So to get him to understand how to use his pitches has been the biggest challenge because when he gets in trouble, he wants to go heavy with his cutter and use that. It's kind of a college mentality. Mm-hmm. But he's come through the system so quickly that we're kind of trying to retrain his brain to think about the, the professional mentality. And when in doubt, you could pitch at the upper, upper zone with the fastball, uh, and you could use your cutter. It's, it's a really good pitch, but... We can't use it as a security blanket and always think it's going to be successful. Uh, and his last three or four outings, he's really bought into throwing more fastballs and committing to it and just kind of letting his stuff play better off the fastball. And and his really, he's really a competitive kid, and it's fun to watch him compete. He gets fired up, and, and he just gets after hitters. It's really fun to watch. Chatting with Montgomery pitching coach R.C. Lichtenstein, your starting development has been terrific, but there's some guys in the bullpen who've impressed too, including a local product at a USF in Phoenix Sanders. Yeah, Phoenix has been fabulous all year. It's funny, I got, I, I got to hang out a little bit with Phoenix Sanders in spring training and just be around him a little bit. And breaking camp, we weren't sure. We knew that Brendan McKay was going to slot into the five spot and, and – and because of his innings, and we wanted to watch his innings limit, so we were going to push him to the back end of the rotation, and we didn't really have a starter who warranted opening day, and I convinced Dewey Robinson, our pitching coordinator, to let me open Phoenix Sanders the first game of the year, <laughs> just because having been around him, he's a very arrogant, confident kid who believes he's fine at all times and, and continues to pitch that way. He's got a tremendous curveball. His fastball, velocity-wise, is not big, but it's got really good life on it and, and continues to be a very, very dominant pitch. And he devel- has developed a cutter-slash-slider, which has been really good for him. And, and once again, he just has that attitude of knowing he's fine no matter what's going on around him. And there are a couple of other relievers, probably very different in terms of their profile, that also have excelled for you. Uh, Tyler Zombro, I know, has been up a couple times to AAA. And Jan Leiter Salinas hasn't been with you long, but I know he's got big stuff. I mean, Tyler has been somebody who, who skipped uh, Port Charlotte and came straight to us from Bowling Green as a guy who could throw strikes. Uh, and it's kind of put himself on the map because not only is he a strike thrower, but his stuff has gotten way better this year. He's kind of a low three-quarter slot, and so he gets a little bit of run on the fastball that dives into righties. His slider has gotten much better, and he's gone 47 innings with four walks. What he's done is really has really been impressive because uh, we knew he'd throw the ball over the plate, but we weren't sure at what level he would be able to compete when we left spring training. And and he has really done a fabulous job for us as a guy we trust to throw the ball over the plate and continue to get hitters out. Uh, with Salinas, Salinas is a guy who I kind of had him keep an eye on Sam McWilliams while he was here because they're both six seven, they both have big arms, they both have pretty good sliders. Just to watch how Sam McWilliams carried himself and watch how aggressive he was and the pace he pitched at 
and uh, Salinas has kind of bought into that mentality, and, and he's a really nice kid who I'm trying to transform him into more of an animal on the mound. <laughs> and I said, you look like a thoroughbred, so you could be a horse like a caballo in Spanish. And But I told him, you need to be more of a crazy person on the mound, so hitters are uncomfortable. So we've nicknamed him Caballo Salvaje, which is crazy horse. Um, and as a matter of fact, I put the name up on his locker. So it doesn't say Salinas on his locker. It says Caballo Salvaje. And the team has kind of taken to it, and he has kind of transformed himself into that guy on the hill who is really attacking hitters. He's making hitters deal with him, and he's run out, I believe, 11 straight scoreless innings since he gave up runs in his first two outings when he arrived. Um, and just watching him kind of become this animal, become this, this controlled, aggressive kid on the mound um, has been really, really rewarding because, once again, here's another kid who came in three, four weeks ago and has bought into what I think was going to help him and is, is running with it and, and making himself this person. He's taking it and making it come to life every time he takes the mound. RC, great stuff, continued success, and uh, congrats on making the postseason. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate it. And that's Montgomery pitching coach R.C. Lichtenstein coming up on this week in Rays baseball. Rays hitting coach Chad Matola and Mike Farron of Sirius XM on the trading deadline. Again, this is This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. Travis Darnot certainly is one of the best stories from a Rays point of view this season. I had a chance to sit down with the Rays hitting coach Chad Matola about the relationship he has with Travis and how special it is. Well, that's what happens in this game. A lot of times people walk in the door and it takes time to develop not only the trust but the language. So that being established already and kind of having a image ingrained in my head of what he did his younger years, we were ahead of the game already right there. What are the keys, you say language, that ingrained because he obviously trusts that you know his swing? Well, he's a very loose action guy. So he can do things easily and just as easily get out of position. And those are the things that we have different cues each day. I'd love to tell you there's just two little things, but he has the ability to hit in all these stances. So he kind of gets in and out of uh, what gets him locked in. So day to day, it's just little cues that, hey, do this, do that. And he's like, oh, I can't feel that. And then get him back in that position and it takes off. Personality-wise, you seem to have a pretty good rapport, too. And he discussed with me how the two of you guys really stayed in touch after your time together. Well, that's what happens in baseball. You, you keep track of guys. You, you develop relationships with the person, not with the team. So when you spend all those five hours a day in the cage uh, laughing and joking about life, and then you, you develop a, a care for them, even though they're playing with a different uniform on. And like I said, you, you want to see everybody succeed. So you're, you're happy. You know, he's got a family, a baby now, and all grown up. And those, those things are exciting as well as the baseball. The baseball itself, is there anywhere where he has surprised you at all? And if so, where? Well, I think we didn't anticipate uh, what he's doing immediately. We've always known he's had the ability, and the industry's known he's had the ability. Look at some of the guys. He was in a Doc Holliday trade. He was in a R.A. Dickey trade right after winning a Cy Young. So it's no secret he's ha- he's got a ton of talent in the first-round pick. So industry-wide, we know what he's capable of doing. It's just been refreshing that we've got this out of him. Matt Duffy is back. How much does he help your lineup, and how much of a different profile is he than what you have currently? Uh, he provides length in his at-bats, which we need right now. He's going to spoil some pitches. He's going to put the ball in play. 
he's going to physically show guys a professional at bat. We talk about it all the time, but it means a ton when a guy steps in the lineup and actually does it. So just the way he carries himself throughout the game, it's going to be a nice, refreshing thing for us to see and guys be able to say, okay, you know, he wears guys out, then Tommy's going to wear guys out, Meadow's going to wear guys out. So it lengthens it for sure. How much has he been missed to you? Uh, on a personal level, it's been, I mean, he's got a little bit of coach in him, so I get to bounce ideas off him when I see things. So I've missed his personality just as much as I miss the player. And as the player, how much of you do you think this lineup has missed the player? Like I said, he, he, last year he hit just under 300, and it, it was very consistent. And as we're seeing right now throughout the lineup, uh, the way baseball works, it's always going to be ebbs and flows and inconsistencies. And right now we're at the kind of bottom of that perspective that that whole spectrum so it's going to be nice to get him in there and insert him right away can his approach trickle down to others you mentioned that fam and meadows but can other hitters kind of feed off the types of things that he does either with men on base or with two strikes absolutely and it wears down the pitcher it's one of those things that he knows he's got to make quality pitch after pitch with him uh he doesn't provide the power but that's the whole thing is everybody has their different strengths and that's what we need is a guy that's going to wear him down a little bit mentally and how much do you think that can help the group? Because last two months last year, you guys had a very, very productive lineup. Well, I don't want to put pressure on him because he is coming off, you know, no spring training, nothing. So I don't want to say, oh, okay, we're fixed with him walking in the door. But it's one of those things, his personality, his way to talk to his peers, the way, you know, it means a little more coming from player from player. And that's what we're going to count on a little bit. And as a group, you guys just haven't had, I mean, from a continuity standpoint, no excuses made, but you guys really haven't had the guys that you anticipated at the beginning of the season, fair? That's fair, but you don't have to keep rubbing it in, Neil. No, we have a good group of guys here, and that's part of the problem is they want to pick each other up. The want-to's there, the desire's there, and that's almost getting them a little bit in the way. So it's not like we have a bad group of guys. It's not like we have a group of guys that can't play, but a little bit of voice, a little bit of uh, seeing how it's done is going to help for sure. But it's it's one of those things that I don't want to speak bad about the guys that are here because they're perfectly capable, but that veteran presence helps for sure. And that is the Rays hitting coach Chad Matola and Travis Darneau, as well as Matt Duffy and the lack of continuity. Tampa Bay still missing Kevin Kiermeyer, Brandon Lau, and Yandy Diaz due to injury. Now Kiermeyer could return as early as Wednesday when the Rays take on the Boston Red Sox. Now, those injuries are certainly things the Rays can do nothing about as we approach the trading deadline. And joining us now to discuss the deadline is Mike Farron, one of the voices of the Arizona Diamondbacks on radio, and also you can hear him on MLB Network Radio on SiriusXM. Mike, thanks very much for joining us. Well, it's always a pleasure, Neil. How are you? Good. How do you look at things right now? It seems to me you've got where it was like 23-7 in terms of buyers and sellers. It may be more like an even split at this point in time. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's that's a good call. I mean, I think last weekend really helped to separate the wheat from the chaff in the National League. And granted, there were some surprises in that, like San Francisco, which – you know, continues to play well and is likely, you know, was viewed as a seller maybe, you know, a month ago, but now certainly is not. You know, so, like, that's one of the things. And I think that, you know, like, now that there's kind of clear delineation there, it's helped to open the doors to more conversation. And that was the sense that I got going into the week, that um, while there had been, a, you know, a, a probably about a normal amount of conversations between teams, mostly with due diligence, knowing that there are a lot of teams that didn't know which direction they were going to go, 
that things were going to start heating up. It's just that we haven't seen the dam break yet, with the exception of, like, DFA'd relievers, right? But, um, you know, I think that that's, that's kind of where we're heading and that there's going to be a lot of movement in the last probably 36 hours ahead of the deadline. And, and I'll say this, a lot of that movement is going to be very small movement. It might be players that are in the minor leagues because this is the last chance to add somebody to your organization who has been on a major league contract during the course of the year. If somebody had been outrighted earlier in the season um, you know, or is on a 40-man roster, they can't be dealt after July 31st. You can still make minor league for minor league trades if they've both been on minor league contracts and have them potentially available you know, for the postseason. But, but that's, a, that's kind of a big date in terms of building depth into an organization now. How much do you think that changes the dynamic? Because it is new for teams that are adjusting to the change. Well, I think it's fairly significant. I mean, one, it speeds up the timeline of when you have to make a decision, make a final decision on whether or not you're in. Two, it means that you have to be, you, you have to increase the size of your rainy day umbrella in that you, you, you need to be able to add as much depth to the organization. Then you don't have the August fallback to be able to say, okay, maybe... You know, we, we've lost a starting catcher. We just need somebody, you know, player Y, who's got, you know, 130 plate appearances spread over seven big league seasons as somebody we can bring into the organization that we feel like, you know, at least we know they can call a game. So, like, that's something that you lose the opportunity for. And, and I think that, that it just, you know, we just don't know how it's going to impact, you know, like the top end or the middle end of the market, too. And I think that's the other part of it is that we just don't know what to expect with it. So you're dealing with a lot of, of things that you feel like you need to know because of the timing of it and because of the way it, it affects the ability to build rosters out. But at the same time, we just don't really know how it's going to impact the way um, you know, players are dealt and what the asks and, and the receives are going to be for, for the players that do move. So which team are you most intrigued? Let's say one American League, one National League, in terms of the route that they go and what they end up doing at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, that's a good question. I mean, I think, so, like, I'll give you a little bit of a, a sleeper in there as a buyer in the American League that intrigues me, and that, that's Oakland. You know, the A's are always aggressive, right? And they're one of the few teams that's actually made a deal ahead of the deadline, adding Homer Bailey, and I realize that that's not the sexiest move, but that's a pretty good team right now, and they have pretty clear needs on the pitching side, and their system's in better shape than it has been. And I'm really curious to see what it is that Billy Bean and David Forrest try and do ahead of the deadline to add reinforcements to what's not just a good roster this year, but should be a good roster for the next couple of years. So that's one in the American League. And I realize that there's probably a little bit of bias in this, in in that I see this team daily, but I think Arizona is one of those linchpin teams in the National League. You know, of the teams in the first tier now where there's that separation in the rank, they're at the back of the pack and they're a 500 team and really have been for the last, you know, two months, we're really the entire season they've been a 500 team. And they have some very intriguing players, namely Robbie Ray, uh, and beyond that, you know, uh, Gerard Dyson and you know, Andrew Chafin, and names that have come up in, in, in discussions that are quality players that if they do decide to move them, and there's no guarantee that they do move them, that they might be able to get healthy returns and have some sort of impact on the pennant race. And, and that's, you know, like some 
we used to be we'd look at the deadline and look at the teams that were definite sellers, right? And well, they need to move mm-hmm. this guy as part of their rebuild. Well, now you've got a fairly talented team that may realize that a postseason run's not in the mix, and they've got guys that are getting closer to free agency, and that it probably makes sense to move some talented guys. And their talent base is already higher than the number of rebuilding teams, especially at the bottom of the American League. So I think that's a really intriguing team as well in this. Can they be compared to the Rays of last year who added Tommy Pham, who added Tyler Glasnow, who added Austin Meadows at the deadline, which didn't get them to the postseason last year but can certainly have an impact on the next year? Yeah, I think it's a great comparison, actually, Neil. And it's, a, it's the comparison that's come up the most in having conversations with the front office. That or maybe what Milwaukee did a couple of years ago, right? This is not a team that's interested in going through the 100-loss, you know, wander through the desert for 40 years version of a rebuild mm-hmm. because I think correctly they say, hey, listen, there's no guarantee that you're going to come out of that. I mean, I think teams that generally have plans that they stick to end up having success. It's when you veer away from that plan that it's a problem. But I think their plan is to try and attempt to remain competitive while they build depth in the organization and to be aggressive in taking advantage of those both when it comes time to win and when they have a chance to, to you know, add talent to the org. So I think they view what happened with Tampa Bay, and they see that as a possibility. And so you know, those names that I mentioned could be moved, but in the interim I would not be surprised if at least one of those deals they added somebody that slotted back into the rotation or if they made another trade for a controllable starter to at least continue to make them competitive into next year and beyond. Who are the players that you're kind of curious to see if they go or you think are going to kind of determine the market, so to speak? Well, Sundergaard, I think, is the number one name now. You know, there was a lot of skepticism on Friday morning. I, I talked to an executive who unsolicited sent me a text that said that Sundergaard is slowing everything down. And that's not a surprise, right? Like, you've mm-hmm. got some pretty good starting pitchers that were on the market, but none of them have the octane plus control that Syndergaard has, right? It's two-plus years of control and a guy with just elite-level stuff. So, of course, that's going to slow the market down. So I think that that's the the biggest thing for me. If Syndergaard moves, if the Mets do, say, extend Wheeler, trade Syndergaard, which is one of the things that they've discussed, man, that's a really interesting dynamic, and I'll be very curious to see what they get back in a deal like that that might be able to help their major league team a year from now. So um, that would be the number one name on it. Then I think the rest of the starting pitching market, you know, you've got, as I mentioned, Robbie Ray and Mike Miner and, um, you know, some pretty talented starters that are in that mix. And then I'm also interested to see, like, who's the best bat that moves? Because there hasn't been a whole lot of talk on the hitting side. There's some teams that need, you know, a left-handed hitter, and Corey Dickerson is, is imminently available from, from Pittsburgh, right? There's some teams that need a right-handed bat, and while they may not necessarily view him as you know, an everyday player because his defense is below average, Nicholas Castellanos can really hit. So, like, there's some really interesting names, I think, that come into that mix that, um, you know, I think those would be some of the guys that I would be focused on now. Um, I guess I have less specific names on the hitter side, but, but you know, certainly with Syndergaard to see where they go, where he goes and how that tips the dominoes for the rest of the market. Yep, and I'm kind of curious, too, if Texas moves 100 pence because I think he can be very valuable in a leadership role in addition to what he's done offensively this year. Oh, yeah, healthy. I think he'd be a great fit for the Rays, too, by the way. I mean, like, that's a name that, that, that you know, my colleague Jim Duquette brought up the other day, and, and it's just such a good fit if he can make it there. Now, you have to buy in to, you know, that he's going to continue to hit – 
the way he did before he had the 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 injuries, the groin and hamstring injury that kept him out for a month. So there's a little bit of risk there, but um, you know he's a quality person and would be a great teammate. And and if he continues to hit, that's a really valuable guy. Great stuff, Mike. We appreciate a few minutes. It'll be interesting to kind of track what goes on the next uh, few days. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see how it all plays out between the between now and the single deadline, Neil. And that is Mike Farron of the Diamondbacks, and also you can hear him on MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. I certainly uh, do welcome you to listen to Mike because he's one of the better voices in the game in terms of kind of having a feel for things at the national level. A couple of things that you should know. First, you can take advantage of $2 tickets before the end of the summer. The Rays are hosting the Toronto Blue Jays, the team they're meeting now on the road. That is on Monday, August 5th and Tuesday, August 6th. Both games have $2 tickets for kids 14 and under with the purchase of a full-price adult ticket. For more information, you can go to RaysBaseball.com slash specials, and you can also show off your Rays pride at school this year with the Rays backpack courtesy of Tampa General Hospital. All fans 14 and under will receive that backpack while supplies last when the Rays host the Marlins. That is next Sunday, a week from today. For tickets, all you have to do is visit RaysBaseball.com and raise up. I want to thank Mike Farron of the Diamondbacks and SiriusXM for joining us, as well as each of the guests on the program today, including Travis Darno, who certainly is on a terrific run. Seven homers, 21 runs batted in just in the month of July alone, which is a record for any month for Rays catcher. Thanks also to Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun for joining us. Thanks to R.C. Lichtenstein, the pitching coach for the Montgomery Biscuits and the hitting coach of the race, Chad Matola, for perspective on Travis Darno, Matt Duffy, and a whole lot more. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. On next week's show, we'll catch up with one of the guys we just mentioned in Matt Duffy. And, of course, we'll also recap the trading deadline and see if the Rays make any moves to add to their bullpen or otherwise. Thanks to my producer, Derek DuBose, for a fine job, too. Neil Solon saying stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Rays Baseball Network.